everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we talk about the week's hottest legal topics. And this week does not disappoint. Um, We have continued on this trajectory, on this path for months now. And as of this week, the Colorado Supreme Court has decided that Trump is disqualified from the ballot based on the 14th Amendment. We have been tracking this story, and today we're picking up right where we left off. It is the holidays, so happy holidays, everybody. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Tell you do. There you you go. And there with me is Dr. John Vile from the Honors College of Middle Tennessee State University, an expert in the Constitution, its amending process, and constitutional law. And it is high time we have you talking about this particular subject because you are an expert in the Constitution. Sort of. <laughs> You're modest. Okay, I'm saying it for you. He is um, an expert for, for decades. You've been writing on the Constitution and its amendments, the amending process. And this is uh, not that I'm excited for these times, and we've said that before, um, but of all of the interesting times to be a part of, this one fits right in with your wheelhouse. Um, it so- does. And it's, you know, when I was in graduate school, when Watergate happened, and frankly, mm-hmm. I haven't seen such a confluence of issues, particularly involving the executive branch since, you know, since 1974, 73, 74. So it's it's a very exciting time, Uh, you know, very consequential. And Mm -hmm. the, the problem always in times like this is that on either side that people either love Trump or hate Trump and and they do, you know, well, what's this decision going to do for Trump now? That's important, but it may not be as important overall in terms of what does it do to the institution of the presidency? What does it say about elections? What does it say about the rule of law? Sure. So what you're saying is more the long-term impact, looking past one candidate, one person, into the continuing office of the president. Right. And, you know, partisans need to be careful because whatever precedents emerge from this decision— is likely to apply to somebody from another party, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 20, 30, however many years down the road. Sure. Well, I, I'm glad to be talking with you today. We're going to break down that decision. We are also going to make sure we're updated on Mark Meadows and Giuliani, um, especially yes. momentous in the legal field this week, has also been decisions regarding his defamation case. Um, and one of the the potential or one of the pieces of it, not potential anymore, actual, is the ruling that his assets can be tagged immediately. So we're going to break that down, too. Um, But... Happy holidays, everybody. I have saved one of my um, one of the wines for today. It is the Legal Weekly Wine. And I did not make this from scratch. There are many recipes on the web that you can do that. I am not so inclined. So I bought my own wassail um, from Sweetland Cellars. And I did, for the first time, I have found myself actually heating up wine. And you can't tell from the gut, but I did, maybe you can tell with the condensation here. Um, but I did heat up my wassail this morning. That's how I was told that it should go. Um, is it now we go a wasseling, caroling? I think it's the, German, isn't it? Do you want, want the, the wassail bowl is a German custom. I, I don't, I will trust you on it. I honestly don't know. No, but that's it's my recollection. Smells delightful. It smells as if I'm going to be doing hot cider. 
Um, very much aromatic with a lot of cinnamon. So uh, did you bring your wassail today? I did not. <laughs> you caught me flat-footed here. I, I, I just got a manuscript of 300 and some pages that I need to proof, and I was too busy printing that off to get something to drink. So. <laughs> well, that's okay. I also know you delved into the entire decision for, from the Colorado Supreme Court. So um, I did. we'll forgive you, and I'll drink for you. So cheers to the <laughs> holidays and uh, this week of Christmas. I'm not used to my wine being hot, but it is it is truly like drinking almost an apple cider. So very tasty. I highly recommend it. Um, while it cools down a little, I'll let, <laughs> let's get to, and I see your tie. Um, for those of you who don't know Dr. Vile. Peace on earth. We could use some, um, yes, definitely exactly. use some. He has a massive collection of ties, um, one of the little-known facts outside of his immediate circle, <laughs> um, that it's, what, over 300 now? I think that's about right. And Three he appropriately chooses one for each each day, many times, at least each week, and wears them. It's amazing, his choosing process. I don't know how you find as many as you do, but there's at least one for every day of the year. Pretty much. Okay, so let's break this down. We had... A couple of weeks ago, very recently, we had the district court decision by um, in Colorado, the Colorado district court decision right. that was made after... A trial. And it's a Colorado court. It's not a U.S. district court. So it's a state court. I think the district court of Denver, I believe it is. Sure. So it's a state court, district yes. court in the state of Colorado. Like you said, not a United States district court, not a federal court. Testimony was heard um, for quite a while. And the decision was an extensive decision by the judge. Yes. And it outlined why she thought he had engaged in insurrection or rebellion, but ultimately decided that he was not, quote, an officer right. of the United States and as such was not disqualified under the 14th Amendment. Right, Section 3, which is is the yeah, disqualification clause. And for just a brief background, um, for those of you who haven't been following as closely, this is a, a post-Civil War amendment that yes. was created, and originally, as as we understand it and have talked about before, was created to deal with conf the Confederacy of officers and members of the Confederacy who were being, you know, put back into the Union as they were recovering and doing going through Reconstruction, and it was basically to prevent those who had engaged in rebellion and insurrection against the United States from holding public office. Well, and particularly those that had already, they had already held an office in which they had taken an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and then instead had joined the Confederacy. Sure. And that's where we get hung up is now we're in the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court, right. and they had a similarly lengthy um, yeah. brief about it, a uh, decision. And in their decision, they support her findings of fact. Yeah. And as I understand it, they, they say, yes, we agree that his actions amount to insurrection or rebellion. And, and by the way, most of that is based on testimony from the congressional report. 
the Congressional Committee. The January 6th Committee. Right, the January 6th Committee. And basically, they're outlining facts that were uncovered during that investigation. And that was what was put onto the record during this trial and hearing. So instead of pulling just from the general public what's been put on the press, what you and I are even talking about, they're not pulling our information. They're pulling information from a full-fledged committee with witnesses and, and hearings and testimony yes. under oath. So they, they made that decision, but break down to, for us what the difference was in their decision regarding the officer of, of the United States. Right, and we, we've talked about this. It, it's on the surface, and I think this is what's catching on, on the surface, the argument is absurd. If anyone is an officer of the United States, it must be the president. Surely it is he. Right. But mm -hmm. if you finally parse the language of the 14th Amendment and other provisions in the Constitution, you can come up with an argument that the president is somehow distinguished from and therefore not part of the officers under the United States. But what seems to be winning out now is a more common sense, if, if I should say, and, and not, not denigrating those who've made the other argument. Of course. But, you know, that on the surface, it seems absurd to say that the one person in the United States who is not an officer would be the president, the chief executive of the United States. So this court essentially has said that it accepts the findings and the president is an officer, so he would be excluded. Now, a couple things to keep in mind. This decision applies to a primary election. Right. Um, and it's possible that you would give greater discretion or lesser discretion to a primary than to a general election. But secondly, it applies only in Colorado. Right. And it applies in part on the basis that Colorado has laws in place regarding placement on the ballot. And so what's fascinating about this case is if it continues in its present form, we, we've had four or five other courts that have dismissed these arguments, usually on mootness or, well, ripeness that grounds. That it's not ripe enough. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's, let's wait till there's actually an election and then decide, which... I think has some problems with it. Right. Another argument has been, well, this is a political question. And this argument does come up in the Colorado case. Um, and it and was relied on by the Minnesota cases to say it's not our, you know, it's not our issue. It's a political question left to the people. Well, actually, political question in, in legal doctrine usually means it's elect, it's to one of the elected branches. So The executive or the legislator. Well, the legislature in this case. So the 14th Amendment has Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, like Section 2 of the 13th Amendment, is an enforcement provision. Congress shall have power by appropriate to enforce this, you know, amendment by appropriate legislation. And so the question is, in the absence of such legislation, can states act on their own? Or the, another way of phrasing it, and this is a more constitutional way, is, is this a provision of the Constitution that is self-enforcing? Hmm. In other words, 
it, it might be like the necess necessary and proper clause. Congress should have all power necessary and proper. Wouldn't Congress have that power even if the clause weren't there? Uh, it would but, seem so. Right. So here the question is, you know, if Congress has an exercise of power, can who can? And and what happens? And, and is this okay? Is it okay that under Colorado law, you might have an enforcement mechanism and in Minnesota law, you might not? Now, what's fascinating about this case it's it's pretty well reasoned. I mean, it's it's a two hundred and I believe two hundred and three uh, page double spaced uh, opinion. Up to now, this is the first court that has said that his name should be excluded from the ballot. So we have cases hanging out there in a number of other states. Colorado, frankly, might not matter. Um, in, in the sense that I think it usually goes Democratic in presidential elections. So the chance, you know, just not... Practically speaking. Right. Practically, it might not make a difference. But what if it influences courts in some states, in some red states? Uh, how many? And, you know, there was something similar to this in 1960, if I recall correctly. Um, Alabama, and again... I should probably check this, and viewers should probably check it. But I believe John, I believe Richard Nixon's name did not appear on the ballot in Alabama. It was when the South was a solid Democratic state, and so, and some people thought that Nixon should have contested uh, the 1960 election, which he wisely and and patriotically, like Al Gore in 2000, mm -hmm. uh, refused to do. Well, so what we have then is a question of whether, in my mind, if the Supreme Court takes this case up, yes, um, which seems extraordinarily likely at this point, but if they do, would there be a possibility that they say, okay, well, look, this may not apply across the board, but looking at these facts and this state and the state's law regarding their primary elections and what they choose to put on their ballot, we'll go ahead and let them do that. Or do you right. think that they will make a broader application? It could go either way. The you know Generally, Republican appointees who have a majority on the court right now tend to favor federalism. And federalism would say it's okay Each state. Uh, if some states, you know, some states rule to allow him on and other states uh, rule to keep him off. Uh, but it, 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 that's a little bit like the issue of abortion. Mm. You know, if, if abortion is a fundamental right or life is a fundamental right either way, shouldn't there be a single national rule that we govern everything? Uh, federalism says, no, we're also, you know, we're a nation of states. States should have some discretion over uh, such issues in, in their own jurisdictions. Well, I think I think that's an interesting point, because if we are looking at recent precedent, 
is with, especially with that decision, with the abortion decision, which said, you know, we're going to put it back on the states and each individual state can decide. It seems to me almost more likely that that would be the decision that they make if the Supreme Court takes it up to say, okay, well, you know, we don't, we can't tell all states how to do it, but at least according to these rules of this state as to how they run their elections, because the primaries especially aren't covered under the constitution. Those are state mandated rules. Is that correct? It's a little trickier than that. There are some some cases from the 40s and 50s which suggest that equal protection rules apply to primary. Remember, it used to be the Democrat, well, if you won the Democratic primary in a state, you win the general election. So if the Democrats excluded African Americans from their primaries, they would not have a chance in the general election. So there, there is some inf- some encroachment there or some limitations. But, but that's I mean, deemed more of classes of people and like you're saying, anti-discrimination right. issues right. versus yeah, the, state and federal issues. Yeah, the, the Constitution, you know, it gives some voting, you know, there are some restrictions, particularly amendments, 15th Amendment, 19th Amendment, 26th Amendment, that it widened the vote to certain groups, but in terms of time, place, and manner of elections, they that responsibility is split between the national government and the states. So you could get in a situation where Trump would not would appear on some but not all of the ballots. And of course he may not, you know, he hasn't won the nomination yet. So there's a chance he won't appear on any of them. Although if you want a prediction. I'd um, love one. If you, my guess would be that if Trump does not get the Republican nomination, that he will play the role that Teddy Roosevelt played in 2000, in, in 1912, where Taft, his former vice president, whom he had turned on, was running against Woodrow Wilson, and Roosevelt ran as a progressive or blue moose candidate and actually polled higher than Taft did. Uh, Wilson won the election, but I find it hard to believe that Trump would not would not now find you know, a way on whether the he ballot. would have a chance to to win in a three way race. I don't know, but he certainly he, he certainly has a name recognition for good or bad, and that's a that's a lot of electioneering. Uh, he has an almost automatic platform for anything that he says, um, including words about poisoning the blood of Americans with with immigrants. Well, let's Uh, talk about that. I know that's a little more political versus legal. Um, It's hard to separate sometimes the two, especially when we're talking about Trump. Um, But I, I think one of the two of the most concerning things, whichever side you're on, um, frankly, is what I think. But some people may say that I'm still partisan on this. But the the two concerns that I have are one that you're mentioning is the rhetoric that Trump has had in the last week um, that seems to be going back to the, the vermin statement where he was saying, yes. you know, let's root out the vermin is now he's making statements to the effect of um, that I- immigrants to this country are poisoning the blood of America. So those statements, as well as not necessarily his own statements, but that of um, some of his his followers regarding 
the the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court, that's made this decision is it's quite alarming to me as an attorney to see the threats that have been coming in for the judges um, on the Colorado Supreme Court. Now we go back to the New York judge who's handling the Trump trial. Um, many of these lawmakers, these prosecutors, these judges, whichever side you're on, um, are getting death threats. There's violence that's being, you know, lauded against them. And that, to me, is very concerning when we're getting to a point in our legal system where we're not, you know, yeah, we're disgruntled. And there's the First Amendment, certainly. We have the right to be disgruntled and disfavored decisions that are against the ones that we believe. But the <laughs> the threats seem to me to almost undermine democracy, and that that's well, a concern. Uh, it, it's it's a little like, you know, Second Amendment is important, but to the extent that we can't control particularly mass acts of violence, you have fear in people in assembly. Right. Um, peaceable assembly is part of what keeps us going as as a country. You know, we're able to First Amendment to discuss, freedom. You know, you're able to worship. We're able to do all these things that we want. And and it is, I mean, and, and this, this, this is true whether it's, you know, whether you're attacking, you know, the Supreme Court in 2000 because that you think they favored Bush or here you're, you know, going after a state Supreme Court because you think they're disfavoring Trump. I honestly don't think these people are, you know, judges Judges are not supposed to be basing decisions on whether someone is a Democrat or Republican. And, you know, part of it is the ignorance. You, you were telling me earlier about, you know, someone talking about how all seven judges should be killed. Well, three of them actually uh, voted, the <laughs> voted the other way. way. So, you, you know, let's exercise. Yeah. Um, not that it would be any better to advocate killing four rather than seven, but I mean, it's right. It, but it's, you know, an overall effect of anyone who's associated with these actions. Right. And, and that is alarming is, you know, when we get and I know one person's rhetoric isn't, you know, representative no, right. necessarily. But the more that we continue to get this rhetoric um, against well, multiple figures. And that's figures, why you've had, you know, in related cases, this is why you've had some upholding of gag orders right. that have been directed to criticism, particularly of clerks and of family members. And, you know, if, if to, to jump ahead just a minute to the, to the Giuliani case, you know, a poll worker doesn't deserve someone making false out, you know, they pass mints back and forth and somebody says they're stuffing ballots. A poll worker doesn't deserve that. You know, that's right. way above their pay grade. Uh, and you know the the court in the in 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 the case of the two people suing R Rudy Giuliani spoke about as decisively as you can get. Right, uh, one hundred and forty eight million dollars, which you can begin collecting now instead of waiting for thirty days. Um, good luck, by the way, finding uh, right that is money. He, yeah, uh, get but, in line with all the attorneys who are seeking his money too. Yes. But it, but I wonder, so that that is a momentous decision, this $148 million verdict against Giuliani. And it was by a jury, um, right. not even a judge ruled decision. It was by a jury um, that awarded the, the two women this amount of money. And the the two big things, apart from the decision itself, 
that I see coming out of this are like you're saying the enforcement the immediate enforcement right. ability, which I want to delve into a little bit more, but also that almost immediately afterwards, he goes out and says the same thing that he's just been sued for and been awarded, you know, these women have been awarded $148 million as he's continuing to say, no, they did, they engaged in this behavior, the fraud, the, you know, the, the election was a fraud, that he's continuing to make these statements. Um, so why do you think that the judge allowed immediate enforcement of the ability well, to collect on the decision. He doesn't trust Giuliani or she, mm. she doesn't. Is it a she? I can't remember. I honestly whether. can't remember. I, I can't remember that, but the judge doesn't trust Giuliani. The, there's evidence that he's trying to hide assets. Um, and the judge is, is, you know, I realistically, I don't think he's going to get a hundred. They're going to get $148 million. Right. Um, but what's there. Uh, they're entitled to, right. and again, it, my understanding is they're now they're now asking for a second judgment. I don't know whether it's for more money or for a gag order, an injunction, right? Right. You know, the, this this needs to stop. Right. Uh, what it, else it really can is, we do I mean, to of, say of stop? All the, uh, of all the things that have happened, to pick out again, sort of the lowliest of the, you know, if if right. if Trump attacks. Christie or Haley or DeSantis, they have a platform. They, they're political they, figures. You know, they, are, they are public mm -hmm. figures. They've, they know what they're in for. And if Trump says something, calls them a name, they got the same right to call a name back. But if you're a lowly poll worker in Georgia, no name recognition at all, and somebody libels you, you're going to have to slink back and try to protect yourself. Well, You're honestly, I don't know why anyone would want to be a poll worker now. I mean, who, th that's what scares me, ultimately, is this undermining of the system where we're creating a system of fear whereby why would anyone want to help democracy in the way our elections go? I don't want to volunteer. No one could pay me to go down and sit at the polls. And if they do, I'm going to have 80 cameras sitting there to make sure that I'm not doing anything untoward. But in, in order to have to pre-prove my innocence and to be just a poll worker, someone who's trying to do a civic duty, and that's not to say that there haven't been people who have mishandled polls and elections and haven't done poor behavior. Um, but the, and the we have laws to deal with it. Exactly. The, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the law is not an act. You know, you don't you, you don't pursue law by making an accusation against innocent people in the press. Just just because, you know, you've been mayor and, and presidential counselor and whatever, and you can get away with it. Uh, I, I think what's you know, it, the case both shows, I mean, it's it's good in the sense that, as you say, it's a jury trial. Uh, jurors actually gave more. Now they gave less, as I understand it, for reputational and uh, punitive damages as they did. I'm sorry, compensatory damages as they, and then they gave more for punitive damages. And it's it's the citizenry's way of saying, you know, we don't want this happening to us, to to us and our family either. Right. Uh, stop it. 
But you know, and there's the, a difference. Yeah, go ahead and finish, and I and I'll pick up with well, the difference. Well, it doesn't give you, you know, if if you've been in hiding for two years and frightened for your life, uh, it doesn't give you those two years back. It's it's like you know, you've been falsely imprisoned for a crime, and they let you out, and they give you two million dollars, and everybody says, well, you, you know, but how many people would want to spend ten years in jail to get two million dollars or or whatever the the fee may be? So it's. You know, the, the law is, is can, can be a fairly blunt weapon. Right. And with that, so you mentioned compensatory versus punitive, and that's right up my alley of, of what I do on a daily basis is the, the difference of compensatory is, okay, we're going to give you this mon- money, like you're saying, to try to compensate you for these last two years of, you know, right. threats and disreputation. Loss of reputation was part of it. And, and my understanding is they were basically unhirable. Uh, you know, who wants to hire somebody that's been accused by, you know, a very famous person of, of being a crook? Right. And so that was compensatory of here's right. a certain amount of money to pay you back to compensate you for a loss that you have had. And then there's that punitive. And this doesn't come up very often, especially in civil trials. Yes, there are some types of cases where you're allowed punitive damages. For instance, in cases in Virginia where you have a drunk driver who has, you know, caused injury, they have, you can get punitive damages for that case versus just a normal driver who causes injury. Um, But in Giuliani's case, there were punitive damages on the table and the jury decided this is so bad, not only are we going to compensate people, um, compensate these, these victims, but we're also going to punish which is the idea of the punitive damages, we're going to punish Giuliani because we think his behavior is that egregious. And, and here's where the limits of the law come in. You would think after losing $148 million that you would shut up. Right, that you would stop. Uh, you know, you don't dig deeper, uh, but for certain personalities, they're going to continue no matter what. And maybe, uh, I mean, maybe the idea is, well, there's only so much money I have. So what's the, you know, what's the problem with saying more because they can't get but, any more than they've, they've gotten? And the great irony, of course, and I think he he probably made the right decision, give, give, you know, but Giuliani had a, Giuliani had a right during this trial to present any evidence that he had that these poll workers or anybody else was engaged in illegal activity and he didn't prove, he didn't advance it. He had the opportunity of testifying on the stand under oath and which he said he was going to do right up to the last minute, very similar to Trump in the civil case uh, in New York and wisely probably chose not to, but then to come on afterward and say, well, we didn't get a chance to present our testimony. That's just, in, in Tennessee vernacular, that's hogwash. <laughs> right. <laughs> or bobbycock. <laughs> I'm not sure what the fine distinction is between the two. <laughs> right. I mean, it's probably th- they're synonyms. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, I once heard a sermon as a child uh, on on the meaning of hogwash. Oh, did you really? <laughs> Which shows my rural. Re- re- it, it was not our regular pastor, but we had a deacon. <laughs> Uh, filling in that that, that service, uh, Wednesday night service, as I recall, and he went on and on about the meaning of hogwash. So I oh, learned quite funny. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's your next article. Well, you know, there's a book on um, 
bull dung, which is all <laughs> something else. <laughs> well, I remember uh, um, growing up in, in our church, our pastor gave a, a sermon, something to the effect of butterflies on a cow pie. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you grew up in the South, <laughs> uh, nothing is pretty much off base. So. <laughs> well, so, okay, so let's take a look then at our other actors. We've got, that's where we stand for Trump. Now, this decision is stayed until January 4th. Um, right. because and by January... the way, it, it only applies right now to the to the primary ballot. Correct. Correct. Uh, so may or may not apply the general election. It only applies in Colorado to Trump. Right. But the court, knowing how consequential it was, basically said you can keep the keep the name on the ballot till January fourth, and in the meantime, you can appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court and. Trump has said that he wants to appeal it. I, I believe that's right. I think he would ha at this point. Uh, he has although to. Although what's fascinating is he doesn't want it now. Well, to, 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 okay, to back up a minute, it's not unusual to have a appeal, a direct appeal from a state supreme court mm -hmm. to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, so Trump is going to, as I understand it, appeal this. Now, what he is objecting to, there's another the. The Jack Smith case, right. which deals with presidential immunity in a criminal decision, that does it. Now, there's there's an appellate court case that we've talked about about right. liability in civil trials, and that can go from that court to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the in the Jack Smith case, you only have a U.S. District Court decision. So the most typical route is U.S. District Court. U.S. Circuit Court, U.S. Supreme Court, or lower state courts, state Supreme Court to U.S. Supreme Court. So Trump is, as I understand it, well, I've read it, so I know, I know that Trump is asking, Trump is saying there's no reason to expedite right. the decision, uh, the district court decision, uh, let it go up through the D.C. Circuit and see what they say about immunity before we go to the Supreme Court. And of right. course, what's happening here is the closer, I mean, right now, I believe Smith's case, criminal case, is set for March 4th. Is that right? And that's, that's just correct. about, you know, Trump is predicting that by that time, he will have, and he may or may not, but he believes that by that time, he'll have the Republican nomination clinched. And Certainly, it's going to be, it's going to take a good bit of time out of his schedule if he has to start appearing for particularly criminal trials. Right. You are supposed to be in person for those. Right. You and, really are. You know, and we, we've talked about this before. Some people think that one of the reasons that Trump is so adamant about running for re-election, and I think he'd run whether he were indicted or not, but is the hope that if he were president, he could either delay any penalty that would come or that he might even be able to pardon himself. Right. And this is, you know, this is one of those things the Constitution doesn't prohibit. The, well, the only limitations on pardon at the federal level, you can't pardon for a state offense, right. but you can't pardon someone who's been impeached for the impeachable 
if they were impeached and, and removed from office. You can't pardon that. But Constitution doesn't prohibit pardoning yourself, although... It's a case of first you know, impression. Well, you talk it... Right. But, you know, we, we talk about written law and unwritten law. Right. If there is any unwritten portion of the Constitution that until now has had fairly general agreement, it's that no person should be the judge in their own case. And to give yourself a pardon is, in fact, to sort of do exactly that. Now, I guess the counter argument would be if the American people have elected someone who's been accused and maybe even convicted of a criminal law that the people don't consider it important, so be it. But the, the problem with that, and, and this is, you know, there's a lot of criticism right now of the Colorado case, not only from Trump, but from fellow Republican candidates. Yeah who say, and this is because they don't want to alienate Trump supporters, who say, well, we don't really think it should be decided in a court of law. We think it should be decided by the American people. So here's the question I would pose to them. So if Trump is reelected, well, let's do it easier. <laughs> if Obama, if we decide that Joe Biden is too old and the Democrats need somebody else, let's renominate Obama. He's had two terms. 22nd Amendment says you can only run for two terms, two. Mm -hmm. but let's ignore it. If the people want to vote for Obama, let them vote for Obama. It's up to the people. If, I mean, would we accept that notion? Of course not. Or, I mean, hope not. So to me, you know, yes, the people have a say, but the people have to act under law. How many people, including me, have some reservations about how the Electoral College works? Right. But you can't, you know, how many people who, th who think it should be up to the people think that Hillary Clinton should have been president from 2016 to 2020? She had the higher number of popular votes. Right. As did Al Gore back in 2000. But we live under the rule of law embodied in a constitution. If we don't like the constitution, we can change it. Rewrite it. That's what we did when we adopted the 14th Amendment. We said the chance of someone losing a war against the United States and coming back and then reimposing their will through elected office is something we can't live with. That's the decision we made. And the court has every right to consider if and how it applies in this particular situation. I, um, I absolutely agree. I, well, I do. Yeah, bully pulpit here. I should be president, right? <laughs> you <laughs> should. You know what? Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> we might as well throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> I don't wear a hat. <laughs> your tie? I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I do agree. I, I am very much like you where I if anything, everybody always called me a goody two-shoes as I am so much of a rule follower. Um, it's a little sad in some cases, but there is there is law, there are rules for a reason. And in, in my mind, if there's so much of a popular decision or popular vote for something, then that should come out in an amendment. 
If it's that supported, then we do have the process for that written into our law from the very beginning of here is how you do a constitutional amendment. And we've had so much support that we've had, what, 27 amendments? So if there is something that strong that should be decided by the popular vote or by the populace, then let it be done so through the law that we've created. Um, One of the reasons I'm an attorney is I like to uphold the law. I was a criminal defense attorney, and many people ask me, why would you do that? Well, we have the law for a reason. We have a system of checks and balances within the legal field where if you have a good defense attorney, then you have you make the system better as a whole. You hold the prosecution to their burden. You make the system work um, on both sides of it. Then I was a prosecutor. So I've done both sides. And in my mind, you know, Republican, Democrat, whatever party that you're in, ultimately there is the rule of law that we've created. And it's not parliamentary. It's constitutional in our case. There is a written constitution with amendments. And ultimately the courts are our our decision makers. There are, you know, through the case law and through the, the court, we've got the supremacy clause, which is, you know, the constitution and the federal courts, the federal law are the supreme law of the land. And it's as they're interpreted, as they're created by the legislature, enforced by the presidency, and interpreted by the courts. And that's the way our system is set up. So, By the way, I have an article coming out in the Tennessean in the next day or two on the Colorado decision. Good. Uh, And I think it's going to be posted online. So if people are interested in that, I just got word this morning uh, that it would be published there. So. Okay, so before Christmas. Yeah, well, exactly. Our right. Christmas hello, cheer. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we're going to get around the, you know, the, the old adage, don't talk politics when you, you know, have your family around. I don't know how anybody's going to have peace on well, earth we're this gonna Christmas. we're going to eat alone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the wise <laughs> words of the wise. <laughs> I think we may eat alone as well. (laughs) All right. So that's the updates on the Trump cases on Giuliani. A quick word about Mark Meadows is he lost his bid, his secondary bid to move his Georgia state case, the one with Fonnie Willis in, in Atlanta to the federal court. So this is the second strike down that he's had this week. Is that correct? Yeah, and what's what's fascinating about Meadows is there seems to be pretty good evidence that he is cooperating with federal prosecutors in the federal election tampering, and I can't quite figure out, you know, why he doesn't appear to be doing the same at the state level, right? Uh, unless maybe they think he's, you know, maybe they're just not willing to extend. A plea offer to him. That's the only but thing that have. I can think is that if. But he, I mean, they gave one to Sidney Powell, and she's you know was as prom- more prominent in the media than than Meadows was. And and that's Although, what I'm wondering is what makes him different. Why is he different than Kenneth Cheeseborough? Why is he different than Sidney Powell? Where they're willing to engage in plea negotiations. And as I understand it, the word on the street, at least, is we're not offering plea deals in this Georgia case to anyone else. At least, you know, the Mark Meadows, the the Giuliani, the Trumps. But Mark Meadows is included in that. So I'm agreeing with you that the only reason I can think of 
that he is not cooperating with the state if if he actually is in the federal case with Jack Smith, is that they're just refusing his cooperation. So the only other avenue he has is through the law to say, look, I should be, you know, immune from this as well. These This comes under my federal authority of my job description, so it right. should be federal and therefore I'm immune too. But that has, what court was that decided by? So I know we had the original U.S. District Court. Was this the appellate one? I'm not sure. I I'm should not know sure that. Either. I don't. Here I'm um, giving an update and I don't know the full information. I know well, the gist. I, and yeah, I, I I read an article that that had happened, but I did it's not and the arguments it's it gets hard after a while. If you've read all of them, they seem very repetitive and sometimes yeah. the Trump's Trump's latest immunity plea just seems to repeat all the same arguments without particularly answering anything that has been raised against them. So, Right. It, and and it, his it, response that was filed on December 20th regarding should the Supreme Court hear his appeal or hear the case for Jack Smith was, well, we don't do that. <laughs> you know, we don't normally skip over. And it's true. Normally, like you said earlier, the process is district to, you know, higher court right. to then Supreme Court. We don't usually bypass this one in the middle. And, and here's where, see this again, we talked about how law can be a blunt instrument. Mm -hmm. We know that justice deferred is, justice delayed, delayed. is often justice denied. Right. And there does seem to be a clear strategy on the part of Trump to postpone things as long as you can, particularly if you can postpone them till the time where he might be reelected as president. And then then you would have greater grounds. You know, we're not necessarily claiming we should have immunity from everything, but we shouldn't. Surely you can't come after us while we're president. You know, right. too busy, too many other things to do. So, you know, and, and he's not the he's not the first client who's ever, I'm sure, asked for delays. But the longer it's the longer delays happen, memories fade, witnesses die, um, all kinds of extraneous things, you know, can can come up that will affect it. So, you you have you have a you have a we concentrate mostly on the legal arguments. But we need to remember behind the legal arguments, there may be a, a, a strategy of delay or, uh, or you know, similar tactics. Absolutely. Okay, goodness. Well, that's our legal weekly news, the hottest legal topics. That's what is happening right now on your week right before Christmas. Um, Dr. Vile, is there anything you can think that we forgot that made the hottest legal topics? Oh, I'm sure there is. Um I mean, we've got Hunter Biden in the background. I, there, there are others. These we have to pick and choose. Yeah. And well, these I are the hottest. Well, I did tell you, right? Do I, tell I think me. I told you. I, I have an article published in British Origins and American Practice of Impeachment, which is a ridiculously expensive book <laughs> uh, published by Rutledge. But I have a chapter in there called Impeachment in the 18th and 19th Centuries in the Early United States. Wonderful. So, well, we'll all rush out and pull our money well, and buy, <laughs> buy this ridiculous. You might want to get it in her. Oh, interlibrary loan. Okay. This, <laughs> I I was hoping you, you know the predictions of my death 
or that it will be either by book slide, paper slide, or book avalanche. <laughs> and I had a minor book avalanche even as we spoke years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still remember as a last little story is when when I was going to college and you were my teacher and everything else, um, we had Jody, my cousin, who is also one of our mock trial students and, and in our department, is she was going to help you clean your office at the time. And to the best of my knowledge, she found at least one, if not two, uneaten sandwiches below those piles of papers on your desk. I tend to eat at my desk so I can (laughs) keep up with the news and my writing as I'm doing it. So I I think I'm actually the one who discovered the second sandwich (laughs) (laughs) on my desk. (laughs) Well, there is work to do. I understand. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Vile, for joining us. Love to hear your opinions, especially as the Constitution expert. Happy holidays to everyone. And from the, the Legal Weekly Wine and our host, The Law Unscripted, we wish you a happy holidays. And our best advice is eat alone for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to ever be Dear Abby I'm afraid no, we're not. <laughs> our solution to everything <laughs> eat by yourself <laughs> I think it is sound advice for this Christmas <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone and take care we'll catch you next time on the Legal Weekly Wine <laughs>